Father, I want to thank you for your grace over our lives. You're so good. You're so, you're so kind. You're so gentle with us. And Lord, I'm going to ask that you would do a work that only you can do. Father, for those whose hearts are heavy and bowed down, Father, I pray that the good news about Jesus would lift them high, that the good news of your grace and mercy would lift them high today. Lord, I pray for those who feel weak and weary to feel strong, not in the goodness of their selves, but Father, in the goodness of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I'm praying that you would teach us the truth. And Lord, I would ask, not only would you teach us the truth so that we would know it, Father, would you give us the power to live it in all of our lives today? And Lord, we know we're not the only church of Jesus Christ that's gathered in this community. We pray for all of the gospel teaching churches in Merritt Island around this community that it would go well for them today. Specifically, we pray for Pastor Gary and the people of God at Destiny Christian Center, Lord, that you'd give them grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that they would know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ to the glory of your name and the good of your people. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Philippians 4. Uh, there's a little correction in your bulletin. I, I failed to let our team know um, last week that I was calling an audible. I had planned on going through verses four and five last week in the message. I only had time to, uh, to get through verse four and I failed to let uh, our team know that there was gonna be a change on this morning's schedule. And so the description and the verses that are listed in your bulletin are for next week. So just go ahead and meditate over those for next Sunday. Today we're just gonna to look at verse 5 of Philippians chapter 4. And before we actually read verse 5 or really read the verses even around so we can get a context there, I just want to let you, you, you know that we're in a section of Philippians that is highlighting the peace that God gives to his people. So in these two paragraphs here in the, the opening session of uh, chapter 4, Paul is emphasizing that God gives peace to his people. That's why the next few weeks we've entitled Living with Peace peace, the peace that comes from God. But one of the things we see that's really clear in the scriptures is that the peace of God doesn't just come to us for us. The peace of God flows to us to be expressed through us. God desires for us to have peace with him and he desires that that peace would be transferred to the people in our life. And here's, a, here's an illustration of that. Many of you are very uh, familiar with the term shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word that, that most often means peace. Well, shalom, the first, the first meaning of, of shalom is that it's a peace and well-being and blessing that God would give to his people. It's a state of wellness that God desires for those who are in covenant relationship with him. Well, the Jewish individuals began to adopt shalom as this phrase that was not only a description for themselves, it was basically a, a community description for one another. So even to this day, Jewish individuals will say to one another, shalom, like hello. It's the well-wishing. It's this, say, this thing that says, I, I have peace with God and you and I desire peace with God for you. It's this wish of peace. And so peace of God is not just something that flows to us for us. It's something that flows through us 
for us and those around us. And so since that's true, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that when we get to this section emphasizing the peace of God, that there's a relational element to it for us. This is, this is a section in which there's relationship with God and one another all throughout these verses. So let's read verses four through nine together. You'll see the emphasis on the peace of God, and I hope you see uh, how it is that relationship uh, with one another is emphasized here. Look at verse four of Philippians. This is where we were last week. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This will be the verse for this morning. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for us this morning, church. Uh, If you remember last week, we broke that section down, there's two paragraphs down into four different categories. And we said this, people who are filled with the peace of God or peace-filled people do several things or express God's peace in several ways. First of all, they rejoice at all times because of Jesus. We talked about that last week. This morning, it's that peace-filled people are reasonable with all people at all times because of Jesus. Next week, we'll see that peace-filled people roll their worries onto Christ in thankful prayer. And the following week, we'll see that peace-filled people replace their anxious thoughts with the truth for them in Jesus. So those are four things we'll be teasing out over the next few weeks, but this morning we're looking at that reasonableness phrase. And here's the big idea. I'm gonna go ahead and give you the big idea, the main point for this morning, and we're gonna sort of uh, deconstruct this or look through this one step at a time. Here's the big idea over verse five. God's people, now you listen with, are you listening to me, church? Okay, all right, I just wanna make sure you're still there. Uh, God's people should have a reputation for reasonableness. Did you hear that? God's people, you can say Christians, Christ followers, God's people should have a reputation for reasonableness that reflects the presence of Jesus in their lives and the peace of God in their hearts. Right? Let, let me, let's, with that in mind, look at verse 5 again and just see how clear that is in this instruction. This isn't one of those passages that's really, really hard for us to understand. It's just one of those things that's really, really hard for us to live. Right? Look at verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to a few of those people who agree most closely with you, right? Hold on, hold on, no, 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 no. I was on the wrong line there. Uh, Here's what it says. Let your reasonableness be known to to who? To everyone, to all men. What What do you think God means when he says everyone? 
everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now look at that next phrase. The Lord is at hand. God's people. Are you, are you one of God's people? Are you one of God's people? God's people, raise your hand real quick. If you're God's people, okay. That's a lot of you in this room. So this is for you. Your reasonableness. You know that? Your reasonableness. You should have a reputation for reasonableness that reflects the presence of Jesus in your life and the peace of God in your heart. This is for you, friend. This is for you. Let's go through that one step at a time. First of all, what is reasonableness? What is reasonableness? Well, this is one of those interesting words that's translated from the original language that the Bible was written in, and I'm told through Bible scholars like Pastor Fayez that there is no single English word that adequately translates this Greek term. So English versions of the Bible are going to give you many different uh, English words that represent the Greek word that was written here. So uh, Bible translations in English use terms like gentleness, forbearance, graciousness, considerate spirit, and obviously reasonableness. One Greek dictionary that I have says that this is an attitude that does not insist on every right And it does not insist on the letter of the law or custom. In other words, this is the kind of attitude that says, I don't have to have my own way. There are a couple of instances this is used in the New Testament. Go ahead and turn to Titus 3.2. Titus 3.2 great book of the Bible. So you know I'm going to read from there. While you guys are going to Titus 3.2, I'm going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. Now this is a description for elders of the church, qualifications to be an elder of the church, and it's really just a description of spiritual maturity. So listen to what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3.3 3, when he uses the Greek word here that's translated reasonableness in Philippians 4. Here's what he says about elders in the church. They should not be violent, but should be gentle, not quarrelsome. Gentle, not violent, not quarrelsome. If you guys are in Titus 3.2, look what Paul says there, talking to the elders about how they lead the people in the flock of God. Remind them to be submissive to rulers. This is verse 1. Submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Now look at this phrase, to avoid quarreling. To, hold on. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle. That word gentle is the word that's translated reasonable. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Some strong stuff there, right? Notice that in both of those descriptions of what it means to be reasonable or gentle or or, uh, patient and kind, both of those occasions, reasonableness, gentleness is the kind of attitude that's not explosive, that's not violent, that's not argumentative. It's an attitude of perfect courtesy toward other individuals. So I think it's really helpful in those contexts to see um, maybe reasonable is best understood by thinking in the negative. Notice that Paul uses, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, be reasonable. Don't be quarrelsome, don't be argumentative, be reasonable. So let's think about it in the negative. So for instance, have you ever been in line at the DMV 
Okay, so you understand unreasonable, right? Just totally all the way around, just unreasonable. Have you ever been seated at a table next to someone at a restaurant and they had the most unreasonable demands? They were insistent on getting something. You ever been next to that person who treats the waiter or waitress in just such harsh tones? Emily and I went on a date a few weeks ago to our favorite restaurant, uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse in Orlando. It was awesome because we heard this, this great thing that Ruth's Chris, a certain time each day, Day, they they have a nine dollar I said nine dollar sliced filet mignon sandwich nine bucks including fries so we had to go check that out we had to go on a little recon mission to make sure that was true well there we are we're sitting on this patio a nine dollar Ruth's Chris filet mignon sandwich with hollandaise sauce all over it I, a serious medium rare right there on that hoagie bun of perfect and listen, so there I am the table next to us orders their 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 hamburger nine dollar Hamburger here at Ruth's Chris. It's unbelievable. Hamburger apparently is the best thing you've ever had in your entire life. But here's this dude orders it. He gets it. He's chowing down on this hamburger. Okay, so he's chowing down on the hamburger. I'm noticing dude is like a wood chipper over there just consuming the hamburger. Not looking up. So the waitress comes around. How is everything? She says real courteous to the guy. How is everything? And he begins to launch into this dissertation on how the exterior of his hamburger didn't quite have the crispiness that he had anticipated. Okay, so then he, he has her make a brand new hamburger, only this time let's put it in a to-go box. Why would you put it in a to-go box, bro? Because he had eaten almost all of the previous hamburger. Okay, so I couldn't help but think to myself, and maybe this was just me uh, trying to be reasonable with this guy. Hey, dude, if the hamburger wasn't good, why'd you scarf it all down, bro? Right? Hold on. Maybe it's just me. Unreasonable. So it's just being totally unreasonable. Or, or think about the person who has a very legitimate right to something, but they go about getting their rights in harsh, demanding tones. So I'll give you the illustration on this. When my kids were little, um, they learned a word very early on, mine. You guys ever had that experience? Mine, mine. Anything they thought belonged to them became the potential object of an explosive battle, right? Any moment they're going to go off when they see mine, mine in someone else's hands. So if they saw a sibling playing with one of their toys, no matter if they'd played with it over the last week or month or year, at times they would run over and demand, give that back, it's mine, right? right? And in those moments, we would calmly try to explain what seemed to be really reasonable with them. Honey, you haven't played with that doll in weeks. Why don't you let your sister give it a try, right? Or, or buddy, there's no reason to act like that. Even though you have a right to that toy, you don't need to grab it and hit her with it. That's not how we treat each other. And then we found out something really enlightening as a parent to young children. It is deeply unreasonable to try and reason with unreasonable people, right? You guys had that? Yeah, you're the one who looks like a fool. Hey, honey, that's why discipline comes alongside instruction, okay? Just to give you a little heads up there if you've been to Disney World recently. Anyhow, 
reasonableness is the exact opposite of a harsh, critical, demanding, impatient, selfish, argumentative attitude. Reasonable people just don't feel the need to argue with people all the time. They don't feel the need to constantly stick up for their rights and get what's their due. They're kind, they're patient, they're gentle with their words and their actions. They're willing to take things into consideration, to make an allowance for the other person, even someone who may not be treating them perfectly. Once we were somewhere as a family, I can't even remember where we were, but there was an individual that we encountered and this individual was just not treating us very nicely at all. I mean, she wasn't like outright mean, but she was just not friendly at all. And I remember those of us in the group just kind of you know, feeling that residue and began to draw conclusions about what a terrible person this probably was. And I think Emily spoke up to us in that moment and said, what if, what if she just found out that one of her close family members is dying? Or what if, what if everything has gone wrong in her day and she's barely holding it together here at work? That, that's what this word reasonable means. It's considerate, gracious, patience, kindness, accommodation toward those that are around us. And I want you to notice what Paul says about reasonableness. Look at verse five again. Verse five, let your reasonableness, your reasonableness be known to everyone. We're just gonna tell you two things about reasonableness. The first one is this. Reasonableness should be the reputation that every Christ follower has with every other person. Wow, right? Now here's what I know. Some of you are thinking, is that even possible? I get that it may not be possible for every other person around you to think you're a reasonable person because they're not reasonable themselves, right? I get that. The best example of that is Jesus himself. No one was more gentle, kind, patient than Jesus himself. They hated him. They, they reviled him. They rejected him. They killed him. I get you can't control other people's behavior or their responses. But that's why I said it this way. Every person in your life should have every reason to believe that you are reasonable about everything. Every person in your life should have every reason to believe you are a reasonable person about everything. And I couldn't help but think about that this week. I wonder if the church of Jesus Christ is known for, has a reputation for being the most reasonable people on planet earth. And as I was thinking about that question, I couldn't help but think about the conversations I've had with people who were waiters and waitresses. And it's interesting to me that many of the people that I've spoken to who are in the service industry said that they and their team hated to wait tables on Sunday at lunch because that's when the church people let out. Huh. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
I remember uh, last year sitting through the Brevard County School Board meetings when they were contemplating a change in language and policy for gender identity and, and, and students who were, uh, who were identifying in, in that community. I remember sitting through those, those meetings and there would be the moments where someone would stand up, they would self-identify as a, a, a follower of Jesus and then their words would be filled with kindness and grace and mercy and consideration and care and truth and boldness and I would sit there and think yes man yes thank you thank you and then some knucklehead would stand up and identify as a Christ follower and he would ooze harshness and bitterness and hateful belligerent language and I had to wonder let your reasonableness be known to everyone and as I was thinking about this I thought Listen, it's easy for us in this room to try to contemplate the entire Christian community and paint them with broad strokes. So why don't we narrow the lens a little more focused on us personally? And I would ask you to do this. I'm just gonna walk through a couple of application points here, a questions application. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Would you just silently pray, just silently where you are, ask, God, will you give me grace by the Holy Spirit to see these things in my life? to notice, to understand how this is really showing up in my life. So begin to ask this question that the Holy Spirit would give you understanding. Am I, am I giving everyone in my life, everyone in my life, every reason to believe that I'm a reasonable person? Am I gentle? Am I approachable? Am I able to be questioned? Am I willing to be held accountable? Am I patient? Am I considerate? Am I accommodating? Do I give other people the benefit of the doubt? Think through those words, think through those questions in each area of your life. For those of you who are are married, if you're married, raise your hand this morning if you're married. Raise your hand. Okay, so I'm talking to you. If you're married, I'm talking to you. Are you giving your spouse every reason to believe that you are a reasonable person about everything in your life? Hold on, maybe I should ask the spouse. Is you, no, I, here's what I want to encourage you to do, and I'm not trying to get you guys into a fight, as fun as that is as a pastor sometimes, but I do want to encourage you to do this. Sometime this week, would you humbly consider asking your spouse that question? Honey, Am I giving you every reason to believe that I'm a reasonable person about everything in my life? And then shut it, (laughs) all right? Shut her down. Let them speak. Am I reasonable? For those of you who have children, anybody have children? Anybody have grandchildren here? Okay, I'm talking to you. Are you giving your children and grandchildren every reason to believe that you are a reasonable person? Do you give commands without reasons? My dad is here this morning. Mom and dad are here. Hey, mom, dad, which are waved to everybody so they know who to blame. That's them. Uh, dad, listen, they're, yeah, they're awesome. They're glad you had me, apparently. That's the, that's the applause. I'm not quite sure. My dad used to always say this, because I said so isn't a good enough reason. And as a kid, I loved it. As a parent, I hate it. Like, what do you mean? And what he was saying is, if you can't give the reason, Why? then why are you demanding this of your children? Do your children see you 
being reasonable with them. I'm not talking about allowing them to rule the roost or be disrespectful or insubordinate or whatever you would say. I'm saying, are you known by your children to be the kind of person who listens, who hears, who understands, who shows patient and grace and accommodation, who's willing to change their mind, who's willing to talk about a subject or about an issue? Are you giving your children every reason to think you are a reasonable person about everything in your life? Those of you in school, are you giving your classmates and teachers are you giving those in authority every reason to believe you're a reasonable person about everything in your life or does everything have to be your way? Those of you who have jobs, are you giving your coworkers or your employer or your employees every reason to believe you're a reasonable person about everything in your life? Let me just ask you this. Do people enjoy regularly working with you? Because of the tone that you set in the workplace with grace and kindness and mercy? Or do people avoid having conversations with you? Do, do they avoid, like the plague, bringing up certain topics because you are boorish and a bully and you demand that everyone sees everything the way you see it? Are you giving the people at your workplace every reason to believe you're a reasonable person about everything in your life? Those of you who are a church member, anybody a church member around here? Okay, this should be interesting. If it's this church or any other church, it's true for you. Are you giving everyone in your church family every reason to believe you're a reasonable person about everything in your life? Are, are you nitpicky? Are you hard to lead? Are you nitpicky? Are you impossible to please? Are you nitpicky? Are you enjoyable to serve and to serve alongside? Are you nitpicky? Or are you giving every person in your church family every reason to believe that you're a reasonable person about everything in your life? Guys, this is not so hard for us to understand. It's just so difficult for us to live out. Every person everywhere should have every reason to believe you're a reasonable person about everything in your life. Brothers and sisters, I didn't write the Bible. I just preach it. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, period. That's the word of God for us today, guys. And that's the first thing Paul says in verse five. Look at the second thing. Verse five says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And look at this phrase, the Lord is at hand. Reasonableness should not just be your reputation. Reasonableness should reflect the presence of Jesus in your life. Notice what he says. He says, here's the reason why you should live with reasonableness. Jesus is is at hand. Now he may be talking, some, some people are divided over this, he may be talking about the fact that Jesus' return is soon. That in comparison to eternity and the history of the world, Jesus' return is soon, it's near, it's at hand. And if that's what he's saying, he's reminding us Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, he's coming again. Is this how he, you want him to find you living? Is this how... You want him to find you in relationship. Is this the kind of conversation you want Jesus to find you having when he returns? And not only that, Jesus isn't just coming back to see. He's coming back to judge, right? He's going to judge the earth. He's going to judge our lives. Will the judgment of Jesus over your life be that you were a reasonable person? Remember, he's coming back, y'all. 
When, when we were kids, uh, my parents never left us with babysitters um, because it was a dangerous thing with five boys uh, who are part heathen to leave them with babysitters when all the available babysitters you know are a part of your church family. But one time they, they, they actually had the nerve to uh, leave us with a girl named Kim who was in our student ministry at the time and good friends of the family. So Kim was our babysitter. Mom and dad sat us all down and they had this talk with us before they left. We're coming back. All right, we're, we're not gone for good. We're coming back. And we're gonna ask him how you were while we were gone. And you'd better be perfect. That, that, that's, you'd better be perfect. Now, they weren't always reasonable. I'm just gonna say that about that. But, but you always better be perfect. You better behave. Here's what they would always say. You better mind your P's and Q's, boy. I don't even know what P and Q stand for, but I tried my best to do it, okay? Yes, ma'am, yes, sir. No, ma'am, no, sir. Okay, whatever you say, sir. That was the, that was the deal. P's and Q's stood for that. So they leave, and, and Kim's there, and the first thing that she does is she lets us go outside to play. You guys go outside and play. I'm gonna get dinner uh, ready for you guys. So, so we run outside in the yard, and I am not kidding. We lost every reasonable brain cell in our head at that moment. There was an old boat that somebody kept by our house. And as soon as we went outside, we beelined it for that old boat. We got under, it was covered with a tarp, like winterized. We got in that boat and we hid. And we heard Kim come outside, boys, boys. And the first thing she thought she did watching the pastor's kids was lose them because she couldn't find them anywhere. And you could hear the panic in her voice. They go, boys, boys, where are Lord? Oh, Lord, I lost the pastor's kids. And we're in, we're in the boat. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. She's miserable. It's great. We just got so hot. We got so hot, we had to come out. So we jump out. We're like, hey, it was just a joke, Kim. We were all over here all the time. She's like, don't do that again. Supper's almost ready. You guys need to get ready. So we went over to get ready for supper, and we built a huge fire in our backyard. Okay, so we built a bonfire. We're dancing around it like it's some pagan exercise. That's why we're out there. Then she comes out. What are you doing? We're like, Dad always lets us build fires. I mean, the biggest lie in the history of the world, right? Oh, Dad always lets us build fires it's what we do she's like god please while i'm here don't build a fire don't build a fire what are you talking about she goes in we we eat dinner she lets us go back outside i think she could she had all she could take with us just trying to survive and uh i don't want to tell you what we did next um i don't even know if i should tell him this we had these old bb guns and uh, yeah, I know, I don't even want to say it. It's not good, it's bad, it's bad. We wouldn't put BBs in them, that would be mean. So we stuffed them full of like dirt and uh, we stuffed them full of dirt and pumped them up so that when Cam came out, my brother gave us the nod when it was time and uh, yeah, yeah, we did that. We shot him at her. With all this dirt coming in her face, she's, she's like, what? what's going on? What's going on this, this barrage? So then we go inside the house and, and, and we realize when, when we see the clock, uh, oh, hold on, uh, dad's coming back. Dad's coming back. And you know what we immediately do, right? We immediately, it's Todd's fault. That's my older brother, my older brother, Todd. It was Todd's fault. I haven't reached the age of accountability. I can't be blamed. Uh, it's Todd's fault. We got back, mom and dad got back. Dad asked her the question, Kim, how'd they do? Yeah, exactly. Oh, pastor, they were fine. What? 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 
marry me? Will you marry me, Kim? You're incredible. Until Kim went home and had a conversation with her dad. And when her dad said, how were they? She told him the truth. So Mr. Mr. Best calls my dad the next day. Uh, dad only visits every winter to follow up with the spankings I'm still getting every year for that issue. Here, here, here's the deal. Here's what dawned on us. Dad's coming back. And, and, if, and listen, and, and if Paul's saying Jesus is at hand, he's coming back. It's a reminder He's not, going to ask, he's not going to ask how you were. He's going to know, right? So how'd you do? He ain't going to ask how'd you do. He's going to be how'd you do. He's not going to ask us. He's going to tell us how we did, right? He says the Lord is at hand. He's coming back. I think the closest, though, meaning of this is not just the Lord is at hand because he's coming back. It's that the Lord is at hand because in the power of the Holy Spirit, he's already here. You know that? He's already here. Guys, do you realize this? Jesus already hears every conversation you say. He sees every post you have on Facebook, every comment you make. He sees every interaction in your workplace, at your office, and in your schools. He sees every car ride you have with your spouse, every conversation you have behind closed doors. Jesus is already here. And listen, I just want to say this because I believe so firmly that this is the truth. It's not just that Jesus is there standing, watching in judgment. Jesus is near, ready to help. You guys know that? Jesus is near, ready to help. The worst possible application for let your reasonableness be known to everyone is that you roll up your sleeves and try your best to be reasonable. This is why we need Jesus. And when you hear, guys, Jesus is near, you know what your heart should do? Rejoice. Woohoo. Rejoice. Jesus is here. He's ready to help. He gave his life for me so he could live his life through me. Do you know the most reasonable, gentle, kind, patient, gracious, merciful person in the entire existence of the universe is Jesus? It shows us grace and mercy and kindness and patience all the time when we're unreasonable and broken and sinful. He came to this earth to live the life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died. And he rose again to give his life power to us. And Paul says, listen, be reasonable about everything. And I know you're, mess- I know you're gonna mess that up. That's why you need Jesus. And there's good news, friend. He's very near. So call on Jesus. You, you, got, you guys know the people in your life who are the most unreasonable, hard to get along with, know-it-all, belligerent people. You guys know those people? Say their names out loud. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to. You know. You know. You know. When you hear this, it's like a shot across the bow of your life. Be reasonable with everyone about everything, everywhere. And you think about that dude at work, right? I don't want to be reasonable with him. I can't stand him. I don't want to be reasonable with him. I don't want to be near him. When that, when that wells up in your heart, when that wells up in your heart, here's the heart's response. Here's the gospel response. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. If I'm going to live that way, if I'm going to live that way, would you remind me of your grace and your mercy to me? Would you make me like that servant in Matthew 18 who was forgiven, who was forgiven by you, but 
Father, don't make me like him that I wouldn't forgive others. That you forgave me a great debt and I wouldn't forgive others. That you showed me great grace and I wouldn't show others. That you gave me great mercy, but I wouldn't show others. That you were totally patient with me, but I wouldn't show others. That you were courteous and kind and gentle with me and I wouldn't show others. God, don't let me be that kind of man. Save me from that. Rescue me, Jesus. I need you. I need you. I know some of you feel this in your marriage. You feel this with your kids. You feel this with your parents. You feel this with your coworkers. You feel this at school. You feel this all the time, this strain in your relationship. Friend, that's why Jesus came. So let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And if that feels like a daunting task, I've got good news for you. Jesus is near. Call on him. Call on him. Ask him to do what only he can do. Would you guys bow your heads? Let's, let's reflect over this teaching. Many of you know a relationship that's challenging. Many of you are closely connected in some way, shape, or form with a deeply unreasonable person. Would you, would you confess how impossible it is for you to be totally courteous and patient and gentle and kind, reasonable? Would you call on Jesus to give you grace and mercy? In a culture... in a a community that is so deeply divided, everything we're encountering in the news and, and in social media is just deeply divisive. Would you, would you ask Jesus to give you power and grace in how you speak and in what you do and even more how you feel and think? so that your life would be marked by gentle, kind, patient reasonableness. And some of you have never even called on Jesus to save you. You you know your brokenness. You know your inability to do everything perfectly the way you should. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. We're all in the same boat. And that though our sin is great, God has provided a savior who is greater. His name is Jesus. If you feel the inability of your brokenness, your own sin and your your weakness to make your life what it should be, would you call on Jesus today to save you? Confess your sin before him. Acknowledge that he lived the perfect life you couldn't live, that he died a death on the cross as the payment for your sin and that he rose again from the dead, proving his power over sin and hell, and also so that he could give you his victorious power to live a life pleasing with God. If you have a call on Christ, if you're not trusting in Jesus, would you call on him today? Father, we need you. And Lord, I know that some of this is humorous. We think about these illustrations, but Father, the, the truth, the reality is 
We acknowledge that our community would look vastly different. Our world would be vastly different if all of those people who identify as followers of Jesus had a deep, profound reputation for being reasonable with everyone about everything. That we would hold to the conviction of truth, that we would not bend or or apologize for the truth of the word, but we would be marked by gentleness grace and mercy God you've got to do it you've got to do it Lord would you make us this week people who are reminded of your kindness and empowered by your spirit to show it to those around us Lord we love you and we praise you in Jesus name Amen